in the month of December, we've actually been talking about the topic of living in between the first coming and the second coming of Christ. And we've looked at this word that you've heard before, the word Advent, and we've come to understand that that word actually means arrival or coming. And we're in that spot today where we are celebrating the birth of Christ, but we're also looking forward to his return. So right now, we live in between. And some of you know what I'm talking about. You might not actually call it living in between, but chances are you've experienced it. Maybe you've been waiting for this young guy to give you that ring, and he seems more interested in social media, and you still don't have that ring. Maybe you've seen a gift with your name on it put under the tree, but you aren't allowed to touch that just yet. So you're living in between. Maybe you're hoping for that closest relationship to be reconciled, but yet it, it continues to be a struggle. Or maybe you're praying that God will change things for you at work. You know he can. You know he definitely has the capability to do that. You believe he will. But he just hasn't done it yet. And you realize that we're living in between. And we're just not there yet. For the Christian, that means we're actually caught in between heaven and earth. And in between can be a really tough place to live. But there are some truths that we can draw from the very first Christmas that can help us in this in-between time. And the first truth we see was the fact that Jesus was born a king. Remember how the wise men, they actually asked that question in Matthew chapter 2, verse 2. Where is the one born king of the Jews? And we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And now we're waiting for this king to return. And we're not living with this endless timeline that goes on forever. We believe that God came to earth once to change the course of history, and we believe that he will return again just to put an exclamation point on history, and then eternity will begin. So the Christmas story gives us a close-up look at who God is. And if we really look at him, we'll find out that he was the God who gave us everything that we need so that we wouldn't have to be stuck in between. So we're in Luke chapter 2, the first seven verses. At that time, Augustus Caesar sent an order that all people in the countries under Roman rule must list their names in a register. This was the first registration, and it was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to their own towns to be registered. So Joseph left Nazareth, a town in Galilee, and went to the town of Bethlehem in Judea, known as the town of David. Joseph went there because he was from the family of David. And Joseph registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged, and who was now pregnant. And while they were in Bethlehem, the time came for Mary to have the baby, and she gave birth to her first son, because there was no room left in the inn. She wrapped the baby with pieces of cloth and laid him in a feeding trough. So Jesus wasn't born in a home. He wasn't born in a hospital. He was born in a stable, which was most likely just a cave. And his first bed 
is an animal's feeding trough. Now, if God is going to come to the earth, I would have written the story so much differently than that. It would have been a different script altogether. But we know that God was willing to go to great lengths in order to bring us back together. So he came for us. And he knew that there were people then and that there would be people throughout the centuries who needed to know the love of God. And he decided that a stable was going to be the entry point. And he said, sign me up. This is the way that we are going to do it. And get this. And that is all because God would rather live in poverty than he would live without you. He would rather live apart from heaven than be apart from you. So living in between becomes a lot easier when you can trust and know that we have this amazing king that loves you beyond description. Then in verses 8 to 12, which James and some of the people in our church community have read, that night, some shepherds were in the fields nearby watching their sheep. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them. The glory of the Lord was shining around them, and they became very terrified and frightened. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I am bringing you good news that will be a great joy to all the people. Today your Savior was born in the town of David. He is Christ the Lord. And this is how you will know him. You will find a baby wrapped in pieces of cloth and lying in a feeding box. So Luke 2 begins by basically announcing that Caesar Augustus was in power. But then Luke begins to tell us that a new king has been born. And Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the town of David. And David was the most significant Jewish king up to this point. Everybody would know about David. And what we have to realize is that the prophets had said that the Messiah was going to come from the house and lineage of David. And Luke is now establishing the fact that Jesus fits the bill. And he's wanting us to be sure that we know that this infant is actually the son of God. He is the king of the world. And even though he has come as a baby, don't be fooled. He is still king. You have to love the words that the angels speak about Jesus because they actually fly in the face of Caesar Augustus and his authority. They say, do not be afraid. I am bringing you good news that will be a great joy to all the people. Today, your Savior was born in the town of David. He is Christ the Lord. But what you may not know is that these same words were often used in regards to Caesar Augustus himself. Because you know those words. You probably say, I've heard these before. I watch the Charlie Brown Christmas special every year, and I've heard Linus say those words. And you say, this is actually the part of the story that I know. But you might not know that these words were oftentimes used in reference to Caesar Augustus. When the emperor would have a birthday, People would go out from his court and they would make statements like, we have good news. And then there would be a celebration for all the people across the whole empire. And get this, they also called their emperor 
Messiah. They called him Christ. They called him Savior. They called him Lord. And the reason they did that is because they had the false belief that the emperor was chosen by the gods to save them and deliver them. So when Luke records what the angels said in that setting to those first century shepherds, it sounded like they were announcing the birth of a king. And they were. That's exactly what they were doing. But notice that this announcement wasn't being carried around by government officials. This announcement was being given by a heavenly choir. And they announced that this baby was going to change everything for everyone everywhere. Now we need to know that the God we trust, the God who loves us, is the true king of the world. And nothing happens that isn't under his watch. Your pain, it doesn't go unnoticed. Your in-between struggle isn't outside of his jurisdiction. Your waiting isn't in vain because Jesus was born a king. But we also need to remember this truth, that Jesus died a king. Now, it, it might sound strange to be talking about Jesus' death, but isn't this Christmas Eve? Aren't we supposed to be talking about his birth? You're probably thinking our pastor's starting to get up there in age and getting a little senile. But the only reason we can talk about his death is because he didn't stay dead. And when we usually think of a king dying, it means defeat, but not in this case because he gave his life. He was willingly sacrificing his life. And what this king did was different, and it was distinctive, and it was totally unexpected, and the people were caught off guard by it. Around 25 years ago, I drove down to visit at the Victoria General Hospital, and I always take Jubilee Road, and as I was approaching the intersection of Roby Street, I looked in my rearview mirror and I could see that there was a police car behind me. And the light changed yellow just as I was about to enter the intersection. Normally I would go through, it would be fine. Because of the people tailing me, I thought I better stop. The light eventually changed green. I went through that intersection and then came to Jubilee Road where I would take a right turn to the hospital. And there was actually a yield sign and then there was a crosswalk. And two people were right there about to enter the crosswalk. So I stopped and I waited for them to cross. And then about 10 meters away, another couple of people were there and I could see them starting to run because they were going to try and cross in front of me. I actually had time to step on the gas, go through, and be gone before they arrived, but I waited until they crossed. And then I took my right-hand turn, and then the police officer puts on his lights and his siren and pulled me over. And I know you're probably thinking, what? Like, what's going on? It seemed like I did everything right. And then he approached my car, and, and this is what he said. He said, don't worry, I didn't stop you for doing something wrong, but I stopped you for doing something right. He said, we've got this promotion going on for the month of October where we are stopping motorists that make a wise decision. And then we give them a pair of tickets to the Neptune Theater. And I, I thought this was pretty good. So he 
went back to his car, and he was there for about 10 minutes. And he was probably checking on the computer, seeing if I had any prior, not arrest, but any warrants against me for anything or unpaid tickets. And then you know what's happening during the 10 minutes while I'm sitting in my car. And the police officer is behind me with the lights flashing. Everybody's looking over at me. And I decided, okay, we're going to have some fun with this. So as each person looked at me, I got eye contact with them. And I was smiling and I followed them as they drove away. And they must have been thinking, this guy's crazy. He just got stopped by the police and he's happy about it. But finally, the police officer came back with my tickets, and uh, I drove away. And I was very surprised. I was expecting one thing. I was expecting a ticket for something. And instead, I was given something that I didn't really deserve. And in those days, my wife and I, we couldn't afford to go out very often. And $75 tickets to Neptune Theater was out of our range. So this was something that we desperately needed. We needed a night out. But isn't that what the Christmas story is all about? Getting something that we desperately need, but that we don't deserve. And I wonder if, you, if some of you look at God like a police officer who's just waiting to catch you doing something wrong. But that's not a proper description of our king because he specializes in doing the things that we desperately need but that we don't deserve. So 2,000 years ago, flashing lights got the attention of those shepherds as they were out in the fields. And 2,000 years ago, there were many people who feared God. They feared his wrath. They feared his justice. But they were able to receive an unexpected, undeserved gift of love and humility. So I want you to know that God is in your corner. He knows that people don't need to be told they're going to hell. He knows they need to be told how to get to heaven. And that's exactly why he came. But most people didn't recognize him when he came on the scene. A lot of people might have recognized him as a rabbi, but they didn't like the way of life that he was telling them they should live, so they rejected him. And one of the reasons that they missed him was because of the fact that he didn't wear a crown. He could have put one on, he just chose not to. When he was mocked and criticized, he could have put one on and said, oh, by the way, I'm the creator of the universe. But he didn't do that. He could have put one on at any point in his life, and it would have given him a get-out-of-jail-free card when he was arrested. It would have given him total immunity. But he did something even better, and he chose another crown that he wore to his crucifixion. And he could have even talked himself out of that painful predicament because he himself stood there before Pontius Pilate, but he chose not to wear that crown. And after being beaten, and he had a chance to stand up for himself, he didn't say anything. And this infuriated Pilate. In John 19, it, Pilate gets right into Jesus' face, and he says, you refuse to speak to me? And Jesus wasn't speaking to him, the scriptures tell us, because he was like a lamb led to the shears being silent and led to the slaughter without making a sound. But then 
he goes on to say, do you not realize I have the power to set you free and power to have you crucified? And then Jesus decided that he was going to speak. And he looks back at Pilate. It's out of love. And he says, the only power you have is the power given to you by God. So he's basically saying, make no mistake, Pilate. You're not taking my life. I'm giving my life. And there's a huge difference. So it all started in his infancy when the wise men said, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? And now at the end of his life, Pontius Pilate has him hung on a cross. A crown of thorns is slammed down onto the top of his head. And then a sign that says, king of the Jews is placed above him on that cross. So by going to the cross and staying on it, he knew that he could pay for every sin that you or I would ever commit. And we ask, why? Why would he ever do that? And the answer is, he did it because he loves you. He loves you and he was willing to go to the cross for you. There is a, a Christmas card that kind of depicts the king of the universe, putting on that crown of thorns and making the decision to save us and give us salvation for all eternity. And on that Christmas card, it says, if man's greatest need would have been for information, then God would have sent an educator. If man's greatest need would have been for pleasure, then he would have sent an entertainer. But if man's greatest need was for money, then God would have sent a financial consultant. But God, in his infinite wisdom, knew that man's greatest need was the forgiveness of sin, and so he sent a Savior. And that made all the difference in the world. And for each one who has swallowed their pride and put their trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, I want you to know that that has made all the difference. And after his death, the grave couldn't hold the king of kings, and his resurrection proved his power, which leads us to the last detail about our king. And that is the fact that Jesus is coming back a king. He promised to return, and by the way, he has kept every one of the promises that he has made, and he is going to fulfill the second part of the advent. So we aren't living in this endless timeline that just goes on and on forever. There's a purpose for why the King of Kings came to the earth in the first place and why he is going to be coming back again. And that's because we are moving closer and closer to a far-off divine event unless you actually die before Jesus returns. Now, we don't know which one is going to come first, but we do know that every single one of us is going to have to stand before the Almighty God and we are going to have to give an account for how we have lived our lives, the decisions that we've made, the life that he entrusted to us. The first time he came, it was in love. The second time he comes, it's going to be in power. And our world is coming to a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
So that's going to be the skeptical professor. It's going to be your unbelieving neighbor. It's going to be the proud politician. It's going to be that stubborn relative you have. It's also going to be the arrogant celebrity. And I'm looking forward to seeing someone like Bill Maher and what is going to happen to him on that day. And it's also going to be the self-righteous church member who thinks that just by going to church, that is going to be enough we will all one day bow in repentance and reverence and worship the king. But here's the key point. If that's the first time for you to bow your heart and your knee to the Lord, then it's going to be too late. And God wants more than our belief. He wants our obedience. He wants our acknowledgement that Christ is king. Because what good is it if Jesus was born in Bethlehem, if he isn't born in your heart as well. But because of Christmas and because of Easter, Jesus has proven that he is the King of kings and he is the Lord of lords. So he is the king over loneliness. He'll never leave you or forsake you. He's the king over arrogance. Keep walking in humility because he lifts up the humble and opposes the proud. He's the king over depression. He'll get you through those difficult seasons in your life. He's the king over cancer. He'll redeem your sickness for good in his kingdom. And he's the king over injustice. He hears the cries of the oppressed, and he will execute his justice swiftly one day. And he's the king over the lost, and he anxiously awaits for you to come home, to give your life to him, and to embrace his grace and his truth. And then when God brings the culmination of his kingdom, he will then live with his followers, and they will be his people, and he will be their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Then there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain, for all of these things will be gone forever. We are living in between, but while we wait, we can have peace and joy and hope because our king has come and our king is coming again. I don't want you to sign off here today. If you have any doubt about where you're going to spend eternity, if you have any doubt about your relationship with Jesus or about what it is to have a relationship with him, I don't want you to walk away from your computer without going to our website and connecting with us and telling us that you want to talk about what this all means. This little baby that was born 2,000 years ago, dying 33 years later, being resurrected on the third day after that, and then going back to heaven 40 days later. That Jesus is your Savior, and you need to have him in your life.